Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Sunbelt football had their best season ever in 2023 with 12 teams finishing with a 500 or better record in the regular season. Troy once again ruled the Sunbelt winning their second straight Sunbelt championship while Georgia Southern got to a bowl game for the second year in a row. Today, we'll put their 2023 seasons in review as we continue our annual in review series. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Monday's episode. Caden and I were joined by Voice of the Mountaineers' Adam Witten for an insightful conversation about the App State season in 2023. If you missed it, trust us, it's worth the listen. Today, it's episode 171 of the show, and it's time to put the Troy Trojans in Georgia Southern Eagles in review. Voice of the Trojans' Barry McKnight is going to join us first, followed by a conversation with Voice of the Eagles' Danny Reed later in this episode. Caden, we're going to start with Troy. They went 10-2 and in the regular season on their way to another West Division crown. Then they top App State for their second straight Sunbelt Championship in 2023. The year ends with a trip to the Birmingham Bowl to face a first-ever Power 5 program in league history in a bowl game. What are your overall thoughts? Just what are you going to remember most about this season for Troy? Yeah, just the sustained excellence, Noah, just them building on what they were able to do last year with their championship one that run that came a little bit more improbably and kind of kicking ourselves for not really betting on them to double down on that and do it again like we saw last season. This team was able to maintain their defensive standard while evolving on offense with a ton of star players breaking out and just having Coach Summerall be able to clearly build that foundation and lead this program on another championship run and kind of repeat in the the repetition and the ways this team was able to find new ways to win, but also do what they did in the season before when they were able to bring the conference championship is definitely what will stand out to me the most. Well, let's not make Troy's Barry McKnight wait any longer. It's time to review the Trojans 2023 season. Well, we are excited to have voice of the Trojans, Barry McKnight, join us on the Ferry in Smith podcast. Barry, you joined us a long time ago. It's good to hear your voice back on the show. It's always good to, to get a chance to interact with you fellas. I really enjoyed your work, especially in what turned out to be pretty good times for Troy uh, at the end of the football season. Always good to see you fellas. Absolutely. It's been quite the run for the Troy Trojans. Let's talk about this year's run though, Barry. Troy came into the season. They're the defending Sunbelt champions, but it didn't come without questions after losing guys like Carlton Marshall and many others, particularly on that defensive side of the football. Those questions, though, clearly answered with a second consecutive Sunbelt title. What are you going to remember most about the 2023 men of Troy? Well, from a from an individual standpoint, I'll, we will talk about, and not just me, but everybody around here will talk about for years, the career Kamani Vidal has had. Uh, you know, this was this was his year. This was his team. And really, he's a lot like Carlton Marshall was, although obviously different sides of the ball, different positions, just in his impact around here. We've talked about Carlton and, you know, how just how terrific he was as a teammate and as a student here and as an influence here and all of that. Kamani's the same way. Kamani's not as talkative as, as Carlton is, but, you know, again, extremely productive on the football field. The second leading rush in the country uh, and and a guy who's extremely unselfish, always team first, always um, worked really hard. And, you know, he when the game was on the line, just like Carlton, you know, he was there to make a play. He was not looking for somebody else to step up. He was 
thoroughly, thoroughly comfortable with taking the game on his own shoulders. I'll remember that individually, but team-wise, I'll just remember the culture, and that's what I'll remember in the two years under John Sumrall. I don't know that you know his X's and O's uh, are that much better than anybody else. I don't know that you know his um, his ability to make in-game adjustments and all of those things. I'm not able to measure that type of thing. What I do know that really I've not seen anything like it here in Troy and not many places else is his ability to build the culture, his ability to, to identify, and, and Caden knows all about this, to identify common goals, to identify, you know, what it's going to take to reach those goals and who's willing to do what it takes to reach those goals here at Troy anyway. And we've had some spectacular coaches, Larry Blakeney, Neil Brown, people like that. I don't know that I've seen anybody that's just better at, at transmitting his vision and getting everybody to buy in it. Uh, as far as culture, as John Sumrall. I remember that about last year, to your question, but I'll certainly remember it about the last couple of years as well. Well said, Barry. Definitely have great having you back on the program. And you touched on John Sumrall. We'll, we'll stay on John Sumrall here. Let's talk about the end of this era, the end of the John Sumrall era. He announced that he'll be the head coach at Tulane following the season. We've interacted with him on multiple occasions and know he's just as good of a person as he is a football coach. You mentioned him being able to lay down that foundation for the culture. Just from your perspective, what made Coach Summerall special and what will you remember most about his last two seasons at Troy? Maybe even the fan base remembering the last two seasons at Troy. A lot of people get into the um, into the very demonstrable energy. I mean, on the sidelines, but also, you know, um, at the fan events, you know, interacting with the people and all that, always energetic. Uh, that that's, that's an impact that he brought on this program that uh, is – is his own. It's his own legacy. Uh, and, and always, and I, I actually saw him a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he, um, you know, was asking about the people here. He resonated so well with the people here because of his, you know, absolute genuine nature. I mean, you know, as, as driven as you see him on the football field, uh, he is every bit just as genuine and accommodating uh, away from it. And, and more than anything else, a player's coach, everything began and ended with what is best for the players, what is best for them scholastically, what is best for them to achieve success on the football field. It all went down to that. That's the kind of thing that I'll remember from him. And it's a legacy that's not easy to to extend. It's not an, e an easy legacy to continue. I've spoken to a couple of the players in the last couple of weeks uh, with new coach Jared Parker, and you know they've had team meetings and they've begun you know the off season stuff that's always such a grind and asking their perceptions and and they see the same energy, they see the same um, you know the same drive and attention to detail, which is so important as well, and and I think he'll be a really good fit. I think he I think he'll be really successful. Now, will he be twenty? five and three and two time Sunbelt conference champions successful. That's a big ask, uh, especially with the losses that the Troy team has had since, you know, since the end of the season. But I do think that he has a chance to be really successful and extend, um, you know, the, the, at least the level of success that Troy has gotten used to. Yeah, Barry, I think to your point, I mean, one memory for Caden and I that stands out when it comes to John Summerall was ahead of the Sunbelt championship game, final walkthrough of the year. We're standing in the tunnel off to the side, it's kind of a close practice. He stopped what he was doing. He walked over, invited us in. Uh, and that just is a lasting memory that I will always have about John Summerall and just the type of person that he is. I think that goes to what you're saying. But 
Let's rewind back to beginning of this year. Troy was picked to repeat as Sunbelt West champs in the preseason polling, but this team starts one and two, although those losses are at number 15, Kansas State, and to a JMU team that was undefeated, as we all know, until late until November. Did you ever sense any panic from the people inside the football building following that start to the year? Not, not, not at all, really. I, I think they knew that, that they were good. I, I think they knew that they were talented enough. But then again, I also think that there was some, um, th- there was some comfort in the fact that they were in this exact same position this time a year ago. You know, one and two after the loss to Appalachian State. Now, then they were, you know, probably questioning themselves. At that point, they're thinking, "Man, we gave everything we had against a really good team and all that kind of stuff, and we came up short." And then they went on and did what they did. So I suspect that part of it, if they had not had to go through that the year prior, then maybe there would have been some panic at starting out one and two. But, you know, the JMU game, Troy lost it by two. They missed a field goal late. Kamani had a, had a touchdown, and he fumbled into the end zone and threw the back of it for a touchback. And, and things like that happened. But I don't think there was any panic. What, what got them through was just simply the work. It's that way in football. It's that way in, in your business and my business. It's that way in life. You know, you know, you go through adversity. What the, the only way to do is work your way out of it. And that's another thing that was really stressed to that football team. And they just, they just buckled down, worked a little harder, and, you know, said, good, what's next? No, definitely. I think it's hard to deny that the last two seasons, no team's really been rattling off wins in November like, like the Stroy team's been able to. And I think Looking at last year's team, the defense was obviously got a ton of credit for the team's success. And while they were good again this past season, the offense definitely took a jump up. We're seeing Gunnar Watson and Kamani Vidal be more complimentary, helping Troy win every single game this year compared to the season before the defense carried this team a little bit more. Where did you see the most growth on that offensive side of the ball in the second season under Joe Craddock? Well, it, it it really was something. It was really small, and I think it was week four. It was not after the one and two start. It was week four when they tweaked the offensive line. Carson Bird had been starting at right tackle, and um, I think for three or four games in, they decided to make a move. They moved Grant Betts, who was a six-year senior, from guard, where he'd played virtually all his career, to right tackle, and they started Blake Austin at guard there. And that really, really made a difference, really solidified the offensive line, Gunner had been beaten up a little bit. I think he got sacked 12 times in the first uh, three games. And and once that happened, um, Gunner was a little more comfortable, obviously, with a little bit better protection. Uh, Kimani, um, you know, had, was a little bit freer to the line of scrimmage. It's like Grant told me. He said, we feel good as an offensive line. If we can just get Kimani to the line of scrimmage, we feel good about our chances. Well, there had been times early on where they, they had a hard time getting him to the line of scrimmage. And also, I think the other thing that really helped, if we can be simplistic about it all, was the emergence of Chris Lewis. He is a he was a security blanket, you know. Uh, he made so many big plays and so many simple plays. I mean, there were times where, you know, you're in the red zone and and Sumrall would tell me, he said, I told Craddock, let's just throw it up to number six. Let's just, let's just throw a 50-50 ball up there and see if he can go get it. And he would go up and get it. You know, it's, it's not a, uh, that's not tactically a masterpiece to be able to say that, but hey, just throw it somewhere in his vicinity and see what he can do. There was a lot of that early in the year that really kind of helped jumpstart and um, light the candle for the offense as well. Yeah, I think back to a couple of those catches that we got to see him make against Kansas State, and obviously there was others. I mean, it was a special year uh, for Chris Lewis, and good to hear that he's coming back uh, for 2024. Mm -hmm. But let's stay on Kamani here. This was obviously a special year. He rewrites the record books at Troy and now appears destined for a career in the NFL. 
You've been around this program, Barry, for over 20 years. You've witnessed some great seasons. Where does what Kamani did in 2023 rank amongst some of the best years you've seen individually? And what are you going to remember most when you think back about his career at Troy? Well, he is, it's number one. And like you said, I've seen a lot. I'm not saying this lightly. It's not something that I have not considered. But, you know, for for a young man like that, uh, who was such a high-quality young man, I mean, we, I cannot speak highly enough about him as a human being, and watching how he did it, you know, his his uh, his first year when Chip Lindsay was was here, he said, "You got to watch his kid. You got to see him. My job is going to be not to, you know, not to mess him up." You know, and he was he was polished as a freshman, but he got hurt, and he had to work, and he had to work, and he had guys in front of him, and he never said a word uh, negatively or complaining about anybody. He's extremely talented uh, physically. You know, he's he's low to the ground, great balance, but you know, plenty of speed. But you know, he had some he had some struggles early on, you know, especially with the injuries, but just to see not only that he succeeded to the level that he did, but how he did it. It was always the first one in the weight room in the mornings. He would beat Sumrall to the, to, you know, to the, to the North end zone facility over and over again. Um, it's the way it's supposed to be, you know, th- there's no flash in the pan. It was not all of a sudden one year he turns it on. He, it was like the way he is in a ball game. He just goes and goes and goes and goes. And in the fourth quarter, when everybody else is, you know, got their hands on their knees, that's when he got so many of his yards and so many of his big plays just because he outlasted everybody else. That's kind of a story of his career as well. He prevailed because he was talented and because he was on good teams, but also because, you know, he worked for it and you got to respect that. No, I think that definitely describes Kamani in a nutshell. It's someone we luckily had on this podcast as well, and, and just one of our favorite guests and one of our favorite people to come out of that program recently. Just curious, Barry, when you compare last year's championship team to the year previous, it's clear as we've talked about the offense grew, the defense was able to maintain their standard. But kind of putting that aside from your perspective, what do you think are the biggest differences between the championship run we saw in 2022 compared to 23? Or maybe they're very similar in your eyes. What do you think? Well, I remember, as a matter of fact, you guys were sitting uh, just to my left at the Sunbelt Conference pregame uh, press conference, and I asked Coach Summerall about that. I said, you know, the Troy people believe, uh, they tend to believe that, you know, the two-year run that Troy has is one big thing, uh, but you, but they were two discrete, disparate seasons with their own thing. The first one, I think it was it was a little bit more valuable to the program because they had had such, you know, adversity in the three years before uh, Chip Lindsay had, had, had had some really good games that the team would, would, would not be able to close the deal and would not be able to finish in the fourth quarter and, and would lose those games invariably. I, they were doubting themselves. They were really talented. The recruiting had been really good. They were really talented, but they had just fallen short, and they just wondered if they're snake bit, if the program has just gone about as far as they can, and it's not going to be a championship level. Well, Summerall came in, and, and he proved that to them very quickly. He, you know, he told them, this is a good football team. You're a talented player. You need to work hard and all that. So I think the first one was really the most valuable because it, it, it came off of adversity. The second one was not easy as well, not just because it's hard to repeat, especially after the season that they had in 2022, but also because there had been so many losses. Caden mentions, you know, Carlton Marshall. There was also KJ uh, Robertson. There was, um, you know, uh, some of the guys in the deep secondary that were that were no longer there. You know, uh, Will Cholo down in the front. There were a lot of there were a lot of gaps. 
And so I think they discovered themselves uh, early on, but the belief was always there about this year's team, or maybe it wasn't always there early for the 2022 championship team. Yeah, to Barry, to your point, I think it's fascinating really just to look at this year's team and the evolution on defense. Obviously, you knew the defensive line was going to be good. The back end, I think linebacker, there were some questions, but to see them put up the numbers that they did uh, was impressive, I think, for this team. And then obviously, offensively, it was a good year. Now, let's talk about Jared Parker. That era is now here. He's been around this program for a month now. He's coached and found success at the highest levels of college football. He's got a great foundation, as we've just been talking about, to build on it, Troy, one that now includes a recently announced indoor practice facility that will be coming down the road. What does the future of this Troy Trojans program look like under Jared Parker? Well, a, a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, again, the success uh, really kind of begets more more success because, um, you know, there's been uh, even that much more of a commitment from the university towards success in football with the with the indoor practice facility, which was needed. The the pool of uh, money for assistant coaches is significantly more than it's ever than it's ever been for Troy. And and Troy's attracted some really good guys, some of them with Troy ties, some of them not, but, you know, really solid. So, you know, it, the future looks good because, again, everybody is aligned. You know, the synergy is there. The, the, the chancellor, Dr. Jack Hawkins, is, is amazing. Uh, Brent Jones, a tireless worker. Um, so, so that type of synergy is always good, particularly when you're building on success. But I think it's uniquely uh, positioned for Troy. And by the way, my, uh, my, Trojans Together Collective, the, the NIL, I, I got to say, is much better as, as well and getting better all the time. But I think the biggest uh, the, the biggest attribute I see from Coach Parker, the one that the fans really want to see more than anything else, is the energy. Having a guy with a Notre Dame background, that is really important. I mean, that, that gets our fans' attention. Having somebody who has connections with John Sumrall, he played with him at Kentucky and, and coached with Neil Brown, that resonates with the fans as well, but that only goes so far. You know, he's been out and around. I saw him uh, day before yesterday at the uh, student cafeteria shaking hands, very energetic staff doing the same thing. So, you know, the, the energy is still very good. The, the commitment to excellence is, is even better than it has been for a team that's won eight Sunbelt Conference championships. So I'm looking forward to it. The, this season's going to be, you know, it's going to be difficult. There is going to be that, 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 bullseye on Troy's back but still you know I don't see any reason why Troy still can't expect you know a high level of success in in football no it'll definitely be exciting to see if Jared Parker can kind of maintain this culture and this foundation that coach Summerall has mm -hmm. been able to build and with that in mind we'll end with this Barry we're going to ask you to look a little bit into the future it'll be a new look Troy team in 2024 they'll come into the season like you mentioned with that target on their back as two-time defending champions they have a new head coach the West appears to still be wide open. What are your expectations for this Troy football team as the 2024 season's a little bit of ways away, but what do you expect? Well, again, you know, I, I believe in, in Coach Parker, and I believe he'll be successful. But, you know, winning back-to-back Sunbelt Conference champions the next two years – I can't predict that, that's for sure, because it's, it's, it's all that's unpredictable, and even more so. I think over the last couple of years, well, really the last three or four years, the Sunbelt Conference has been competitive up and down. I mean, everybody seems like they're good. Everybody's definitely better than they have been before. There have been some good coaching hires in this, in this league. I, I think Brian Vincent down at ULM is a terrific hire for them, for instance. Uh, but there's, 
it's just better. This league is just everything about it is better every year. And it's it's a grind for anybody. With that being said, you know, kind of like last year's team where you wondered, you know, how many how much personnel was left on defense and all that. You got to replace a six year quarterback. And you've got to replace the school's all-time leading rusher. And I've got some ideas. I know Goose Crowder, the West Virginia transfer, will get the first crack at it at quarterback. And there's a couple of guys in the in the running game that I really like, including a, a guy who'll be a redshirt freshman named Jordan Lovett. But, you know, at, a lot of guys on the offensive line have gone. I'm, I'm interested to see who replaces Jabri Barber. Um, so, you know, a lot of questions. Every year there are a lot of questions, but... Right now, I will say this: Troy football has less wrong with it than any Troy foot than any time I've ever been around. You know, they've got they've got a lot of things going their way, and the the challenge is not to build this thing; it's to maintain, which can be hard. But you know, the, all the pieces are definitely there. Well, suffice to say, Barry, it sounds like the foundation for this Troy Trojans program, well constructed and in, into the future. We appreciate you taking some time. We owe you a, a meal at Sisters next time we're in Troy. <laughs> oh, you know I'll cash in in that for sure. Well, thank you for coming on. Really, really appreciate it and always enjoy talking. Always a pleasure for me as well, fellas. Thank you. Caden, always enjoy a chance to hear the voice that is Barry McKnight. I got to admit, and we've talked about this off air before, when he retires, I would listen to him read audiobooks all day long. Yeah, I'm glad this this part of the conversation is finally getting put into the podcast. Barry McKnight's voice is something that the both of us and many others, I'm sure, have been a fan of for a while. If, if Velvet or Suede were to have a spokesperson or to have a voice, I think Barry McKnight is definitely should, the guy that should be should be that guy. He sounds like a saxophone, and we'll definitely gladly have him on the podcast whenever he wants to be, that's for sure. He's been on twice. He hasn't disappointed yet. But, Kane, I thought it was interesting as we go back to the interview, just some of the question marks, obviously, for Troy heading into the new year. You're going to have a new head coach. You're going to have a lot of new pieces on both sides of the football, but it was interesting to hear Barry's perspective and his confidence in the foundation that has been built at Troy. It makes me a believer that this is not a program that is about to rebuild. Yeah, no. And as much as this is a, a season review or pre, a review rather than a preview of next year, when you look at this series, it's just hard not to think more into the future compared to the past when talking about this Troy Trojans team. We talked about their sustained greatness the last two years against Coach Summerall and him building that foundation and Barry and others clearly believing in that foundation. But the question is going to be, can they maintain that culture? Can they maintain that standard that's now been set? in Troy, Alabama with them being two-time champions. And I think it'll definitely be one of the more fascinating stories heading into the next season as far as looking at this wide-open West. And do you want to bet against Troy, knowing that their head coach isn't there, but knowing probably a lot of that foundation is still there as well with them replacing a lot of guys on the roster and having a new coaching staff as well. Definitely going to be intriguing to see what this Troy team is able to do and really test their culture now moving forward after winning two straight titles. Hey, all I'm saying is we bet against Troy before this season. I'm not betting against them again in 2024. Well, let's turn our attention now to the Georgia Southern Eagles, a team in a different spot that is trying to form that foundation. They've gone six and seven in each of the last two seasons. But Caden, this is a Georgia Southern team. They start the season six and two. They were in the driver's seat in the Sunbelt East heading into November, but then you lose four straight and that ultimately sinks your season. The year ends with a second straight defeat in bowl season. When you think back about the year for Georgia Southern, Caden, what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely just it being kind of the tale of two halves. You look at the beginning of this team, the beginning of the season for this team, and it was one that we saw the offense being highlighted yet again, the defense looking like they were showing some improvement 
And then in the back half of the season, just nothing could go right for this team. It's now two straight years that they were, they've done this in Statesboro. And I think it's going to be very interesting heading into next year, seeing how they can combat that. I think going into the off season now, as much as you, you've kind of maintained and kept that, that standard, it seems like it has to go to the next level if this team wants to take a next step. So I think to me, what I'll remember most about this Georgia Southern t- season is it kind of just having a lot of shades of last year to where a season that was a little bit more impressive as a debut season for Coach Helton, kind of a little bit more disappointing when you do that again and end flat to end the year. So just very curious, like Troy, to see where this team does and that, what this team does in the offseason to kind of try to improve themselves as two teams that we're talking about in this episode that have really had two very similar seasons as far as what they've been able to do the last few years. Well, Georgia Southern's Danny Reed is here to talk about Georgia Southern's season. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to review the Eagles' 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles as we continue our Sunbelt in Review series. Danny Reed, thanks for taking some time to come on. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, Danny, let's jump right in. Clay Helton won six games in his first season at Georgia Southern in 2022. This year's team started strong, fades down the stretch. Ultimately, the year ended, though, with the school's second straight bowl appearance. How will you remember this 2023 Georgia Southern football team? It's very odd because those have been two very different six and seven seasons. If you tell an Eagle fan, what was 2022 like as opposed to what 2023 was like? Six and seven, three and five in conference, bowl appearance, bowl loss. But everybody would say that 22 was much better because victory over Nebraska, victory over top 25 James Madison, victory over, Caden, I'm sorry, Appalachian State in double overtime to get to the postseason. This year, you start six and two. The East Division was in the grasp. They were, I don't know how you want to put it, control your own destiny. I've never liked that phrase, but if they would have just kept the course, they would have won the East, but then things started to go wrong. The depth started to get exposed. And then it seemed like everything that could go wrong, those last two games did. And then you end six and seven. So now it's an off season spent of how can depth improve? Who's going to be the quarterback going into 2024? And can the Eagles successfully and consistently incorporate that run game to pair with that high powered passing offense? Now, great points you made there, Danny, and happy to have you on the podcast. I think when you look at just the the numbers, they they kind of sometimes lie to you, and that's why you have to definitely look into the numbers. The seasons might like look the same, but then really digging in and seeing the differences, there's definitely a big difference between, I think, last year's team and the team we saw this past season. And I think one of the biggest stories between those off seasons was improving the defense. Clay Helton went out and hired Brandon Bailey as the new defensive coordinator. We saw gains and turnovers forced and other kind of indicators of defensive success throughout the year. Could you maybe give your impressions of what you saw from the defense in some areas you think this unit might need to continue to grow in the future to kind of complement the offense? Yeah, not to beat a dead horse, but 2022 in a lot of respects was the worst defense that Georgia Southern ever put on the field. And a lot of that had to do to injuries. A lot of that was just not getting into the right kind of scheme. But when you get Brandon Bailey back to Statesboro, he was a student here. He was a coach here under two different staffs. 29 years of age to be able to run an FBS defense is pretty amazing. And the improvements were right away. It's it's one thing to have your debut at home. But when you pitch a shutout, I know it's an FCS opponent. I know the Citadel didn't win a game this year. But for your first game to come out and have three straight three and outs, something that Georgia Southern defensively did not do at all, in the 2022 season, forced three straight three and outs. And then offensively, you're right down the field, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. It was a very mature way to begin the season. And that was a word we heard, we heard over and over. When you got to a four and one start and then a six and two start, this was an older team. It was a mature team. 
that was handling their business in a very good way. And really, it could have been seven and one if they didn't turn the ball over six times in that loss at Wisconsin, because we all looked around and said this was a team that Georgia Southern could have beaten. Davis Brent threw for almost 400 yards, but once got inside the 35-yard line, couldn't hang on to the football. But yet defensively, with Marquez Watson Trent having the kind of season that he did, and I know that T.J. Smith just put his name in the transfer portal, but to have three interceptions, he was a dude in the back end of that defense. But again, you saw towards the end of the season the depth issues that popped up, especially at linebacker. And you've got a defensive line that despite being a very deep group, I think Rip Rowan does a phenomenal job and is going to be a big-time coach very, very soon just needing to get a little bit bigger, especially on the outside, and then just get a little bit deeper up front. And you can look at not having Christian Varner all year. He tore his ACL in the second practice of the season, so did not have him to plug the middle. You hope that he's going to be back for 24 to add some stability on the inside, and then maybe with an extra year in the weight room, you've got James Heiss now as the head strength and conditioning coach with Bobby Steiner going to Vanderbilt hoping that those ends can maintain their speed rush, but just get a little bit bigger and handle those bookend tackles that the Sun Belt now possesses with as good as the league has gotten these last few years. Yeah, it seems like the biggest thing for Georgia Southern defense, they clearly took a step forward this year, and I think now it comes down to can they take that next step uh, as we head into 2024. But, Danny, this team, they begin the year 6-2, and two, as you mentioned, the two losses coming to Wisconsin, a member of the Big Ten, James Madison. We all know the season that they had up in Harrisonburg. Obviously, we all know the story for how 2023 would come to an end, but did you sense any cracks or issues up to that point that may have ultimately led to the disappointing finish to the season for the squad? The way that I'll put it is after the Eagles, number one, started 4-1 and one against Coastal and set the school record for attendance at Paulson Stadium with more than 26,000, our crew looked at each other and said, this team has a chance. Beating Georgia State on a Thursday night at Paulson to get to 6-2, and two, even more so, this team has a chance because everything was laid out in front of them. Keep handling your business. You're going to win the East. You're going to go to the Stun Belt Championship game. And the Clay Helton hire is going to look even better than it already does. And I know fans have their perspective on it with back-to-back six and seven seasons. But for people that have a chance to work with him every day and work with that staff every day, the arrow was going up in Statesboro. And I would anticipate this program getting to where people believe it should be on the outside very soon. But then it was the very next week against Texas State where they had nine days to get ready for it, but you just saw how Texas State spread the field, and this is what they did to everybody, using those weapons on offense, especially Joey Hobart, really well. Georgia Southern had a lot of trouble tackling in that game. That was something that started to exist more and more. You're playing a Marshall team with Rasheen Ali, who didn't really play the year before the first 10 games, actually came back in Statesboro last year and helped lead them to a nine-win season. But they show a formation they haven't shown all year. They use him in the wild herd formation. He busts the game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. Everybody struggles to tackle him, but it just got magnified with Georgia Southern. They also missed a couple of tackles middle of the field that turned into 60-yard pass plays. Old Dominion was a slugfest. I felt terrible for the defense because I think that was the best game that they played all season. But the one play they needed to make on third down in the final seconds, they did it. Quarterback draw turns into nearly a touchdown. You get the walk-off field goal. App State, even though it was a 14-3 lead, that went down the mountain pretty quickly, fumbling a kickoff and then just not being able to sustain anything, multiple false starts. And despite all that, still six wins, still knowing that you're going to a bowl game but then the Ohio team that they faced in Myrtle Beach 
well built up front, and they were on their third string quarterback, their fourth string running back because of transfer portal and all that. But I was really impressed with how they conducted their offense and then defensively forcing those five turnovers. I know Georgia Southern made it close in the fourth quarter, but to be honest, it really didn't feel like Georgia Southern was in that game up until maybe about halfway through the fourth. But even though the good feelings had been built the first five weeks, first eight weeks, then everything that was capable of going wrong did the final five weeks. And unfortunately, at App State, it all went wrong at the same time, and you don't want to have that happen in an arch-rivalry game. Even to still go to a bowl game, you thought that with having the extra time to prepare, getting these guys a chance to get refocused, some of those seniors playing in their final game, maybe there'd be that last big push to have a winning season. But for Ohio, they played like the team that had been there before, and it was their fifth straight bowl win, so clearly they had. And it just showed that while Georgia Southern definitely improved last year, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. No, I think that's a great perspective on that back stretch of the season that we saw from Georgia Southern. Thinking about just some other teams in the Sun, but I think a tale of two halves is almost a common theme. We saw App State in the start of their season compared to the end. Same with Georgia Southern, maybe in different ways, but I think it ultimately just speaks to some of the competitiveness we're seeing in the conference now, especially in the East. We talked about the defense a lot, but let's switch over a little bit to the offense. They kind of, in my from my vantage point, took a little bit of a step back. I think statistically, you look at the points and the yards per game and other categories. But then just from an eye test, I feel like especially down the stretch, moving the chains as effectively and ultimately the tons of turnovers, I think, from interceptions and fumbles, I think were big differences I saw. But from your perspective, how would you compare the offense we saw last season to the one we saw in 2022? Well, it's going to be very tough to have success when you turn the ball over 31 times. That that's That's a lot of turnovers. And then Georgia Southern had not done that since 2008. And as well as Davis Brent had played at times earlier in the year, he threw for almost 400 at Wisconsin, but he buoyed that with the six turnovers. Throwing for four touchdowns against Ball State and what was probably the most complete performance of the year. Played well enough to win at Marshall, but just didn't make enough plays down the stretch. He was playing hurt for the final really seven weeks of the season. He took a lot of big hits the first half of the year. I think about James Madison. They rocked him a number of times in that game at Harrisonburg, which really wasn't that close of a loss, and that's something that we've kind of covered already. But not having a healthy Jalen White, not having a fully healthy O.J. Arnold, and really having to patch that up with a freshman walk-on at running back and David Bedenga, who did what he could despite his physical limitations at maybe 5'9", and 195. I still think he's going to be a really good third down back and maybe even somebody that could develop into an every down back. But luckily, you've got Jalen White back for one more go, trying one more time to get that thousand yard season. He's been close. He's in the last two years, but it's been the injuries down the stretch that have prevented that. OJ Arnold is somebody that could carry a bigger load, but a number of injuries to him separated over the course of those first two years. It is, it's hindered the offense enough where you can go into a game knowing that Georgia Southern's going to throw the football 50 times. You also can think, okay, even though they're going to run it 30 times because they try to get to their 80 plays per game, maybe you don't think the same about those 30 runs as you do those 50 passes because the offensive line struggled down the stretch. And when you know for a fact that your top two running options aren't completely healthy, maybe you don't view it through the lens that you could numbers wise the rushing yards per carry went down, rushing yards per game went down. Third down conversion still really good for a team that throws it as much as they do. That's a big piece of Brian Ellis's offense. It amazes me that they can convert more than 45% with having as much third and seven plus as they have. 
the last two years, but that just speaks to the ability of Van Trees to get the ball out for Davis Brin to get the ball out and having somebody as secure as a Caleb Hood who got a lot of joy watching him over over these last five seasons and especially these last two getting to play as part of an offense where I think he was hoping it would ultimately expand to when he got to Statesboro back in 2019. But I do believe that with J.C. French and Dexter Williams probably 1A, 1B going into spring practice here very soon, that gives you a dynamic element to this offense that you have not had the first two years. Brandon Van Treese, very good passers, but having the threat of the run. J.C. French is much more apt to run. Dexter Williams, much more apt to run. He's a Georgia guy from Macon. He began his career at Indiana. I know he's coming off some knee issues up in Bloomington. But if you could maybe not have to necessarily depend on one, maybe if you led both, maybe if you say going in, all right, you're the guy for this, you're the guy for this. I know some people say if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, but I don't know if that's really apropos in the current day of college football where you could lose somebody like that with NIL and transfer portal. But I would be very surprised going into the spring if both of them are not getting a heavy look, not just to say he's the guy, but maybe they both can be the guy in their own way. Well, Danny, to further your point, and obviously Davis Brin has become a a lightning rod for criticism after the number of turnovers this year, but when you look at the offensive line, Davis Brin was under a lot more pressure than Kyle Van Treese ever was. I think it was almost 25 more sacks this year, so I think offensive line play clearly needs to improve as we you know head into next year, but I wanted to ask specifically about that quarterback position. Obviously, Davis Brin came in, only had that one year of eligibility left when he transferred from Tulsa. The year obviously doesn't go the way that he hoped, but you mentioned J.C. French. We saw him in a few packages. He gained some experience this year in a similar way to, as Caden brought up the other day when we were talking, that we saw J.J. McCarthy do before taking over for Cade McNamara at Michigan. Do you expect J.C. to be that guy in 2024, or could we see another addition from the transfer portal like we've seen over the last couple of seasons at Georgia Southern. Yeah, I'd I'd hate to speculate on what the Eagles may do later on after the spring once the window reopens in May, but I do know that in a number of conversations with Brian Ellis, he's fired up to get a chance to coach J.C. French as somebody that could be the one that gets the keys to the car. He has as gifted an arm as Coach Ellis has ever seen, just somebody that could roll out of bed, pick up a ball and chuck at 65. And there's not a whole lot of guys that can do that. He has spent the last year plus getting engaged with this offense, learning this offense. He really improved himself as a football player instead of somebody that can just come in, be a gunslinger. You mentioned the number of packages they used him with. A lot of times it's where they really needed to move the football. It's third and fourth and short, where they're going with their own version of the Wild Eagle and he was able to pick up some key conversions and ended up playing in 10 games this year. But then when he got that first opportunity to roll with it once Davis was pulled in the app game, the first true drive, he gets hurt. And that was something that didn't get revealed publicly until people saw him on the sideline at the bowl game with his arm in a sling. Now he's going to fully recover. He'll be ready to go by the time spring practice starts. But knowing the kind of confidence and potential that Coach Ellis saw in J.C. right away, So the way that he improved throughout the season, he's going to be given every chance to be the guy. Dexter Williams is going to be given every chance to be the guy, somebody that already has major experience. Because think about French, he redshirted at Memphis the year before. He did not take a college snap until this 2023 season. And then whether it's 
Colton Fitzgerald getting involved somehow, a freshman like Colby Walton out of Nolansville, Tennessee, who redshirted last year. Somebody is going to emerge from that room, and whether it's the two that we've spent time talking about or it's somebody that isn't necessarily on the list or maybe even on the roster, that's what we're going to find out. No, it's going to be definitely interesting to watch. You think about this Georgia Southern offense historically having their quarterback's legs obviously be a threat with the option and then switching to this air raid. We're seeing two straight gunslingers now say, saying we could potentially see a J.C. French who could bring a little bit both to the table. Definitely makes me feel a little uneasy as an App State alum. That's for sure. But Danny, now we're two seasons into the Clay Heldon era at Georgia Southern. He helped lead this team to two consecutive bowl games, as we've mentioned. And we see from what we see in here, the fan base is, is clamoring for more. What do you think the next step is as we begin to look ahead of 2024 for Clay Helton and maybe just this Georgia Southern program as a whole? Well, Kanan, as long as you're not on the field for App State, I might feel better about Georgia Southern's <laughs> chances. <laughs> flattered, flattered. This, this is a big, it, it, it's, it's a big year, and the schedule's a lot tougher. Opening with Boise State at Paulson, a lot of people would consider that to be maybe the top team to ever visit the stadium. So you're potentially looking at starting 1-0 against one of the banner group of five programs, or if you stub your toe, you've got six straight losses. That's not an easy pill to swallow. In fact, it end up you might end up be swallowing an apple if you end up being the program that has a six-game losing streak going into the rest of the schedule. Now, week two is a Nevada program that has really struggled over the last couple of years. Then you're back home against South Carolina State, but then you got to go to Ole Miss and while that might be a fun trip going to Oxford and beautiful Vaught Hemingway, I think we know how good they're going to be, even with Quitshaw transferring out for 2024. They need to help themselves at the beginning of the schedule like they have Clay Helton's first two years getting three and one non-conference records. I think that that's going to be a challenge. I think it's doable, but this team has to close. One and nine record down the stretch combined the last two years. If that happens again, then there's going to be a lot more questions. There's going to be a lot more meetings. There's going to be a lot more, well, what do we need to do? Where can we fix this? How can we proceed and take the next step? Because if you would ask a fan, were there strides made in 2023, they're automatically going to say no because it ended with five straight losses. It's sour taste. Nobody wanted to end that way. But with what we've already outlined, strides were made, especially defensively. That's going to be another area where you get some depth at linebacker, you get some size up front. You're also going to have to do some work at corner, losing two sixth-year guys who ended up starting by the end of the season with Demel Hickman on one side and then Shamar Bartholomew had a phenomenal season that will never get talked enough about, but he had one of the best seasons a Georgia Southern defensive back has had in maybe two decades. Those spots are needing to be filled. I have faith that this coaching staff is going to do that job. Now you've got Darius Safford coaching the corners, somebody that has been in Statesboro, played here, was an assistant here. So getting him back is a big deal. But in, in a lot of different ways, this is a very important season because year one, groundwork was laid. Number two, had a chance to make a big jump. Things didn't quite go the way it could have. And with a tougher schedule in year three, immediately you would go in thinking, can this team get to a third straight bowl game? Something that's only happened once since moving to the FBS. But recruiting-wise, strength and conditioning, with what happened from one to, or from 21 to 2, going from three to six wins, and then being able to show some strides, especially defensively from Helton 1 to Helton 2, you've got to think that year three – is going to bear some fruit. Well, Danny, here's your chance uh, to tell us your expectations for the 2024 team. Put 
your crystal ball, pull it out. Uh, how do you think the season goes for Georgia Southern, giving everything that we've just talked about? I will speak in ifs because I'm not very good at predicting the future, but if Georgia Southern's run game averages about 150 yards per game as opposed to around being in the 120s or the 130s that they've been, if Jalen White can stay healthy for maybe not even a full season, but as close to a full season as possible, get him to 1,000 yards, continue to develop him as a receiver, those are two areas that have really done him well, and that's why he's on a lot of pro boards because of his abilities to catch the ball out of the backfield. Defensively, if they can be 67% getting off the field on third downs, if tackling is consistent as it was in the first half as opposed to the back half, if depth is built on both lines and at linebacker, and they manage the back and forth of not just the non-conference, but also how much tougher this league is going to be next year, because Georgia Southern's got to deal with the two-time defending champion, Troy Trojans. Yes, they'll get them in Statesboro. Yes, they'll get them with a new coach. But the trip to Mobile and South Alabama, I don't see them staying down for long. I think that they they go back up. I think this was a little bit of a dip. I think they're back up this year. I think that South Alabama has a chance to be sneaky good. And then you got to finish. You've got to control the back part of your schedule. I know we don't know the full schedule yet, but I'd feel pretty safe in saying that App State will be coming to Statesboro sometime in late November or early December with COVID. That was something good that came out of it with those two possibly playing for a division championship to go to the Sun Belt title game. If most of that or all of that happens, if we talk again, then year three is going to be a landmark year for this program. Well, certainly a lot of ifs, a lot of questions, but uh, an offseason of potential promise, I think, in Statesboro for this Georgia Southern team heading into 2024. Danny, I always appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy basketball season and baseball coming up soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Okay, and always great adding another guest to the repertoire that we've had on the Frary and Smith podcast. Danny did not disappoint. And in that interview, I, I thought one of the things that really stood out to me is some of the struggles that Georgia Southern has had down the stretch over these last two seasons. He mentioned a stat of being one in nine down the stretch over these last two seasons. That's a trend that if you want to be a championship contender, it's got to change and it needs to change in a hurry at Georgia Southern. Definitely. We obviously covered this team and many others closely throughout the season. And we see from the outside what the struggles were on the field. But hearing that perspective from Danny, as far as the injuries that kind of piled up and the different things schematically on defense and offense that gave them trouble, especially to close out the season was definitely nice to hear and definitely gives this team kind of a clear blueprint and a clear formula as far as what they need to do and what they need to fix this offseason moving forward. So they don't have that same result when it gets to the month of November. We talked on the App State conversation about what it takes to be a good team in those late months of the season. And a lot of that has to do with the offseason work. So it will definitely be fascinating to see how this Georgia Southern team looks to combat a lot of the issues they saw on both sides of the ball down the stretch, especially heading into this season where now it's year three and those expectations are going to be a little bit higher for a head coach and for a program as a whole. Well, and Kate, in Georgia Southern, they're going to have a new strength and conditioning coach ahead of 2024. We know how much you love a good strength and conditioning coach, but the other element here to this interview was just the intrigue for me at quarterback. When you put up the headline, dual threat quarterback at Georgia Southern, that sounds really exciting. J.C. French seems like he's at least in the, you know, the, the pole position to be that starting quarterback this year, but certainly some intrigue around the quarterback battle this offseason. 
For sure, no. And I think when you look at the quarterbacks that have been successful in this league, the dual threat ones are the ones that have been able to kind of take their offense to other levels for the most part. And that's something that Georgia Southern hasn't had. Like we talked with Danny the last couple of years, when you're running a triple option attack, obviously your offense is quarterback. Your offense is predicated on the legs of your quarterback. In the last two seasons, this auto offense has been predicated on the arms of the quarterback, specifically in the pocket. But if J.C. French is able to unlock some things with this offense and be able to present new challenges to the defenses they face now especially in the east who are getting more used to this system i think it could be good news for the eagles heading forward in the east especially if that defense shows a little bit more of improvement i think if jc french does work out for this team any kind of dual threat quarterback i think he mentioned it might be somewhat of a battle but i think that would just add an added wrinkle to this offense that might be able to take it from a good one and a great at times one to one that's consistently great and one that can consistently give defense problems on a weekly basis Certainly a fascinating offseason on tap in Statesboro. Well, that's going to do it for the third episode in our Sunbelt in Review series. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Troy's Barry McKnight and Georgia Southern's Danny Reed for joining us for today's conversation. Caden and I are looking forward to continuing our review of each of the Sunbelt team's 2023 seasons in the coming weeks. Before you go, don't forget, we're going to be back on Friday. We'll be releasing the latest episode in our in-review series focusing on the Texas State Bobcats and the Old Dominion Monarchs. Voices of the Bobcats, Clint Shields, and Monarchs, Ted, uh, will join us. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Ferrari and Smith Podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do. Drop us a five-star review on the way out. Tell us what you love about the show and what we could even be doing better. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again on Friday. 